couple of things as we uh, as we transition into our time together in the Word. Beautiful worship service this morning. Once again, July 3rd, uh, amazing event. Uh, I, I have heard uh, varying figures, but somewhere in the neighborhood of 400 plus uh, meals were served. Uh, and, and folks, uh, I know so many of you were a part of the logistics, behind the scenes stuff, working. Uh, I even heard one comment say, my goodness, I went to pick up my dish and it was already clean and ready to put in the cupboard. And, and so the kitchen crew, the just, uh, I, I can't even begin because I'll mess it up and forget somebody so you don't start. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, from the photographer to, to, to those who were doing the fireworks to, it was just an amazing night. Uh, a bit more on the uh, sorrowful side, the sad side, I uh, want you to be aware that uh, uh, Steve Nelson's mother, uh, Pat, passed away this last week, and uh, uh, Leah, his sister, uh, also, uh, but uh, no, didn't pass away, <laughs> Steve and Leah's mother, Pat, uh, and then... Uh, Yesterday, or, or in the last couple of days, uh, Claudine got news from Haiti that her dad passed away suddenly. So uh, I guess a special prayer for Steve and Claudine, uh, both losing one of their parents here in the last week. Uh, so with that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's... Uh, Kind of, kind of typical of the human emotion. We we have the ups and we have the downs. We have the celebrations and we have the sorrow. And we call this journey called, we call it life. We call it life. But Father, I'm so glad that there's a thread that holds all of this together and brings meaning and purpose to this thing called life, and that's your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's with us in the joys, he's with us in the sorrows, in the mountaintops and in the valleys. You're a very consistent God. Thank you for that. Trustworthy, faithful, and true. And now we come to this time of opening your word. We take it very seriously, Lord, as do you. May the Spirit... Lead us, guide us, may the Spirit speak to our hearts through the living word. May the Holy Spirit bring application of these words that you have given to us. And we ask it all not only in the precious and mighty name of Jesus, but for his glorious sake. Amen. Amen. Well, continuing our series in the book of Philippians Today's title, You Have to Go Broke Before You Can Receive Christ's Riches. As we prepare for our text, I think it's important we understand kind of the, the key point that runs through this, and it is this, true righteousness comes only by faith in Christ. True righteousness comes only by faith in Christ alone, and we'll be coming back to that obviously, as we progress through the text. Paul will also present himself in this text as a spiritual accountant and find his ledger balance zero 
at the end until he comes to know Christ. So with that brief intro in mind, would you please, if you are able, to stand at the reading of God's Word and understanding that our righteousness comes by faith alone is our joy as we continue with that theme of this letter to the church at Philippi. But we're going to be reading from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11 this morning. This is the Word of God given to us. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. You, you see Paul's building towards this crescendo as he makes his presentation. I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow. But whatever I gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And all of God's people said, Amen. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning, we pray. Again, we ask for that imputation, that imparting of its knowledge to be more than just head knowledge, more than an intellectual assent, but that which would transform our lives by the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You have to go broke before you can receive Christ's riches. Spiritually speaking, finding ourselves bankrupt is the best thing that can happen in our lives. A key word in the text is count, or to evaluate, to assess. Even Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. Few people, seriously, I fear, fail to sit down and examine the values that control their lives and then truly discover what they are slaves to. In Paul's life, it seems he had noble attributes. Before he knew Christ, he desired a righteous life. That's a good thing, right? He strived for obedience to the law. That's a good thing. He was passionate about his religion. Again, noble. He was zealous in his service for God, no matter how misguided. And he was lost. He was lost separated from Christ and without 
hope. Some people have enough morality to keep them out of trouble, but never enough righteousness to get them into heaven, said one man. One day a person was discussing faith and works with their pastor. They presented their argument as such. I think that getting to heaven is like rowing a boat. One oar is faith, the other is works. You must use both to get there. And if you only use one, you'll simply go in circles. To which the pastor replied, there's only one thing wrong with your illustration. Nobody goes to heaven in a rowboat. My response would have been, you haven't got either oar in the water. You see, folks, Christianity is not this plus Christ or Christ plus this or that or whatever it may be. It's Christ and Christ alone. There is only one good work that takes a sinner to heaven, and that is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? So let's get to our text. In this intense autobiographical section, Paul literally does an audit in his life, and he will discover his bankruptcy. The text begins with rejoicing and a stern warning. It says, look out, look out, look out. Uh, Beware, beware, beware. Three times. Legalistic dogs, evil doers who mutilate the flesh as a means of salvation. He's making reference to the circumcision. Those who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ put no confidence in the flesh. Paul will then present himself as the premier example of being right and completely wrong. Are you with me? Are we doing okay, J.D.? I hope so. More me too. Let's dive into this audit sheet. It falls into two categories. Paul's relationship to a nation and Paul's relationship to the law. You know, it's interesting. I was waiting for Connie at a doctor's appointment this week, and she's doing very well, by the way, in her recovery. And thank you for all your prayers. But I was outside the facility, and there was this gentleman in the parking lot who was carrying on a public conversation on his cell phone. You've all heard them, right? And very loud. Well, you can't really ignore it. I mean, you know, there's just certain things you're going to hear. Well, there's one thing that I heard that made me stop and turn. Of course, he was on the speakerphone, so he's holding the phone out here and he's talking. Now, and, 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 and all of a sudden he says, I know that what I did wasn't right, but it wasn't completely wrong. Oh, you, you, you understand and that caught my attention. I thought, my goodness, there's a sermon in that. He don't know it. But there's a sermon in that. It wasn't right. But for justification purposes, it wasn't really wrong either. You see it? You see it? Folks, we can't justify us before a holy and righteous God. Only Christ can do that. And apart from Christ, we're wrong. Period. Wrong. All wrong. But Christ steps in through the atonement, through the shedding of his blood, providing redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It makes it possible for us to be adopted as a child of the most high and holy God. 
So here's Paul's list of assets. We'll move through these uh, fairly quickly. These are his assets that he's bringing to, the, to, 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 to be judged, let's say. He goes through the list. Though I myself has reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists these seven things. He was circumcised on the eighth day. When circumcision was given by God as a sign of his covenant with Abraham, Abraham was 99 years old and Ishmael was 13. From that day on, every Jewish male was to be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. And Jesus, being born into a Jewish family, followed this Jewish custom according to the law. Paul's list of Judaizers here were demanding this of the Philippian church. Well, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to go through these steps of, be steps of becoming a Jew first. A proselyte into Judaism. He says, no, I have that. Second asset, he was the people of Israel. Paul's roots were traceable back to the patriarchs. He had, he had a pedigree, guys, and it went way back. He was not a convert to Judaism. He was a Jew from birth. On both sides of his family, this guy had a pure genealogy. Ah, that's an asset. That's an asset. He was also, boy, it takes it one step higher. This, this thing's building. He was not only of the people of Israel, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the last of the 12 sons born to Jacob. Out of the tribe of Benjamin came Israel's first king, Saul. The Benjamites were the aristocracy of Israel. To be a Benjamite was to be truly an Israelite. Don't you just kind of see Paul's chest coming up at this point? He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. This simply meant Paul was a Hebrew boy born to Hebrew parents. He spoke the Hebrew language. He lived in Hebrew customs. He was schooled in the Hebrew tradition under the very honored teacher named Gamaliel. In one of his sermons, Paul said of his background, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our fathers, and was zealous toward God, as you already know today, Acts 22. A Pharisee. Paul claimed to not only be a Jew, not only be of the, tribe of, ben, of the tribe of Benjamin, he was a Pharisee among the Jews. Even after his three missionary journeys, still, uh, Paul would claim this past association. I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, Acts 22. Do you see it, guys? Number six, a zealous persecutor of the church. We are not left to wonder about Paul's religious zeal, for he points to his fanatical activity as a Pharisee. By the way, do you recall, and we will bring this up just so you know when the transition started, Paul was on the road to Damascus, breathing fire on a mission to continue his destructive agenda, and somebody showed up. That was the day he said, what do you want, Lord? Righteous and blameless under the law, his seventh asset. 
Next, we're told that Paul was blameless. Wow. Doesn't necessarily mean he was claiming to be sinless. It simply meant that he kept all of the outward rules of the law so meticulously that no one could point accusing finger at him. I want to thank Dr. David Jeremiah for some insight into those seven assets. So there we have it. What's Paul's balance sheet look like at this point? If he's planning on going to heaven. George Whitfield from the book Count It All Joy, this story is told, was one of the most effective preachers of the gospel the church has ever known. His preaching trips to America were largely responsible for the great awakening that took place in the middle of the 18th century. And by the way, it was out of that great awakening that America was birthed. As a teenager, Whitfield had desired to live a religious and serious life. When he enrolled in college, he began to pray and sing psalms three times every day. In addition to his regular morning and evening devotional time, he religiously fasted every Friday and always on that day received the sacrament of communion at a parish church near his college. Do you see? Do you see his list? It parallels Paul's in many ways. This, this is George Whitfield, one of the greatest evangelistic preachers that ever lived. He habitually attended public worship and abstained from worldly pleasures. But during all this time, just like Paul, George Whitfield was lost. One day he was introduced to Charles Wesley. I think this is an amazing encounter. Who gave Whitfield a copy of the book, Henry Scogel, The Life of God and the Soul of Man. When Whitfield read this book, he realized he was not saved. In one of his sermons, he recalled what happened. I quote, I must bear testimony to my old friend, Mr. Charles Wesley. He put a book into my hands whereby God showed me that I must be born again or be damned. I learned that a man may go to church, say his prayers, receive the sacrament, and yet not be a Christian. How did my heart rise and shudder like a poor man that is afraid to look into his ledger list, lest he should find himself bankrupt? Shall I burn this book? Shall I throw it down or shall I search it? I did search it. And holding the book in my hand, thus addressed the God of heaven and earth. Lord, if I am not a Christian, for Jesus Christ's sake, show me what Christianity is. That I may not be damned at last. I read a little further and discovered that they who know nothing of religion know its vital union with the Son of God. Christ formed in my heart. Oh, what a ray of divine life did then, did then break upon my soul. George Whitfield got saved. Brothers and sisters, that's crucial that we understand what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi and what we hear in George Whitfield's own words and own testimony. So there you have it. Will Paul's list stand the test of God's holy and just requirement? And more importantly, will yours, will yours, will your list stand the test of righteous judgment? The apostle himself says no. No, when you add up my personal assets, I have found nothing but a bag of rubbish. 
very easily translated trash. Paul says it's time to take out the trash. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Point number two, the Apostle Paul's gain of Christ's riches. The Apostle Paul's gain of Christ's riches. We looked at his list of assets. We found them lacking. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for this sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. We are reminded here of the words of Jim Elliot. He is no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Paul was about to lose his religion, but what he gained was so much greater. So what did Paul gain? Number one, he gained the knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of Christ. This is not just information about him, but knowing him himself, a personal relationship through faith. Christianity is Christ. Salvation is knowing Christ Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. He not only gained the knowledge of Christ, he gained the righteousness of Christ. Paul was his, had lost had lost his own self-righteousness, but he had gained Christ. Listen to this exchange. Paul exchanged his bankruptcy for the riches of Christ. Christ filled Paul's account. That's what this imputation of righteousness is when Christ gives us his righteousness to stand before a holy and right and true and just God. It's our only plea, brothers and sisters. Our only plea is to plead the robe of righteousness that Christ has adorned me in. That's it. And Paul had gained that. He had gained it. Paul discovered that his sins had been put on Christ's account on the cross. And Christ had put his righteousness in Paul's account. What a deal. What a deal. So he gained the fellowship or the the knowledge of Christ, the righteousness of Christ. And Paul then says, I gained fellowship with Christ. It was personal. It was personal. I I, want to wrap this up with an emphasis on these last four points. Very quickly, Paul gained the knowledge and the righteousness, but what sets Christianity apart from all other religions is the personal relationship you can have with our saving God. It was personal. Listen, that I may know him that I may know him. Verse 10, that I may know him. It was also powerful. And the power of his resurrection. 
Do you know Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and, and he talks about us being dead in our sins and trespasses and he says that, that how we were saved, we were saved by the same power, the same working power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And Paul says he also raised you from the dead and seated you with him in the heavenlies. So we live in the power of the resurrection. That is our life. Folks, we're dead. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're dead. But God raises us just like he raised Christ from the dead. He raises us from the dead spiritually, gives us life. It was personal, it was powerful, and it was painful. That I may share in his sufferings. How many of you have prayed that lately? Dear Lord in heaven, I pray that I suffer with Christ today. I don't know that I'm saying we need to pray it, but I would say we need to be willing to endure it if it comes. And if you're going to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ, it's coming. It's coming. Not in the same way, probably not in the intensity and cruelty, but there will be some suffering. And life itself will throw us some curves once in a while, won't it? There will be suffering in our lives, personal sufferings. Are we willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, for the gain of knowledge of Christ, for the gain of fellowship of Christ, to take those sufferings and say, Christ, these are yours. Do with them what you will and what you must, that I may be more like you. I want I come out of this. Yeah, to share in his sufferings can be painful but it was also provisional becoming like him in his death becoming like him in his death to attain the resurrection of the dead and I would add one more P it was also permanent <laughs> permanent I give you this scripture as a testimony of Paul's experience, and I pray that it may be yours also. He writes to the church at Galatia, and by the way, it's interesting that uh, he had to write to the church in Galatia with the same issues uh, to, to address as he did right here in Philippians. The legalists, the Judaizers, wanting to add to Christ, or add Christ to this, or to Judaism in order to be saved, and Paul says no. He says this to the church. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. That's personal. That's personal. So let's pause and ask ourselves this question. I would recommend that we invite the Holy Spirit to ask us this question. What does my balance sheet look like this morning? What does my balance sheet look like? Will it stand the test of God's audit?
will stand the test. Is it filled with my deposits or Christ? That's the question. Who's filled my account? You may literally have both oars in the water this morning and still be lost. And still be lost. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Can you say with the utmost and fullest confidence this morning that I have a joy, a joy in my heart that cannot be removed, that cannot be diminished, that cannot be extinguished because Christ put it there. Christ put it there. It's His joy in me. And He wants to make our joy complete. Father, thank you for the time that we've had this morning. Thank you for your word. We pause now, Father, to let these words, the word of Scripture, the word of God, to speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, reveal to us what you have found in our account. And if anyone be lacking, may they cry out for the deposit that only Christ can make. in his precious name we pray. Amen. And you do not know this person called Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray that all pride will be set aside and that all fear would be overcome by the power and prompting of the Holy Spirit and you simply walk down to one of these aisles and say, I want to know this Jesus. I think I may be bankrupt and I want to know this Jesus. I want to know the joy of having the hope of glory in my heart and know that I contributed nothing to it, that it came by grace, that it came by mercy, that it comes by faith. I want to know that kind of Savior. So let's stand and sing and let the Lord have his way.